If you're from any ages of uh, four to the second grade, you're excused to kids club. I joked with them when they reminded me to do that, that I probably can't possibly forget because my son will probably run me over. He didn't, thank goodness, but um, I get the opportunity to open God's word to you, uh, and I'm going to tell you a little bit of how it came about uh, a couple uh, Fridays ago, not just three days ago, but uh, the Friday before, Ben called me and he started the conversation like this, you can tell me to take a long walk off a short pier. And I knew right then that he was going to ask me to preach, um, and that came from a kind of a long uh, stretch of the last six months of us learning as elders what the responsibilities of elders are, and part of it is to open God's Word um, to His people. And so I knew it was coming. Um, I had no idea that it was going to come and I was going to get seven days. Um, and further from that, I had no idea I was going to get seven days in March, which for the industry that I work in is extremely challenging. I was sharing with Lenny that I was a frazzled mess on uh, this past Friday and feeling like, I don't know how I can do this, God. Uh, but he is so good. And so um, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Um, then we're going to jump into a scripture that uh, I think is going to be challenging and beautiful uh, for us to hear today. Father, would you please open our hearts and our minds to your word? Would you um, help us to understand that these are your words, your words to the church um, they're not my words, and I pray that you would clear any of my words out of this sermon and, and that we would hear from you uh, all together today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So on Wednesday this week, I met with Ben, and uh, he asked me what scripture I was teaching, and I told him, uh, Revelation three fourteen through 22. And he said, why are you preaching that scripture? This is a challenging, challenging text. Uh, But my answer to that question is, um, the back half of that scripture is some of the most treasured verses in my life uh, as a Christian. Um, The front half of this scripture um, has been some of the most challenging for the last six months, and they bother me, Um, and they've been bothering me for a long time, so I'm going to share them with you. Um, Because the reality is, is we can't disconnect this section of scripture. They go hand in hand. Um, and it's, I hope you'll see, as I've seen, um, how beautiful it is um, and how beautiful a picture this is for us as a church. Uh, but at the same time, um, I want you to ask these questions uh, as you're listening. Uh, my intent here is not to um, beat us with this, uh, but to encourage us and challenge us, just like I believe Jesus was in, in these writings. So, um, we're going to look at this, uh, the last church in... Uh, in Jesus' letters to the seven churches in Revelation, which is the church of Laodicea. Um, And I I just pray that you would ask the question, what does this mean for us, the church universal, the church in America? Um, What does this mean for Calvary? What does this mean for me individually? If you'll keep those three questions in mind while I talk, I think uh, God will do something cool uh, in our lives, in our church, uh, in, in the world through us. And so, I'm going to read the scripture, and then we're going to kind of just break it down verse by verse. Uh, So, Revelation 3, uh, 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. 
would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ear to hear, uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to start right away in, in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus let us know exactly who he was. The amen, the fulfillment of all his promises, um, the faithful and true, the beginning of God's creation. We've been uh, in Colossians, so if, we, if you remember back to Colossians 1, 15 through 19, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, and he is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It was important that, that Laodicea understood that he was the first. He was the Alpha, the Omega. He was the, the, the most important thing in the world. And you'll see as we continue to go on that that was important for him to put that before him, who he was. Um, Jesus does this in all seven letters. He puts forth in a different way who he was to their church, which met their need. Verse 15, I know your works. Again, all seven letters start with some kind of phrase uh, that, that indicates that Jesus knows us intimately. Nothing that we do is hidden from him. Nothing that we are is hidden from him. None of our circumstances, our challenges, our trials are hidden from him. Um, if we look back, uh, the church in Ephesus, I know your works. The church in Smyrna, I know your tribulation. The church in Pergam, I know where you dwell. In Thyatira, I know your works. Sardis, I know your works. Philadelphia, I know your works. He knows us as people. We're not hidden. Even though we might want to be hidden or we want to, might want to think that we can be hidden, we are not hidden. And it's important for us as believers to understand that. The first six letters uh, that were written to the churches that I know your works is always followed by a commendation of, their, uh, of who they were. 
Jesus praises them for what they're, what they're standing in, what they're going through, their works, their good things. Um, it's not the case with Laodicea. He goes right at them. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. When I grew up, my dad never, ever poured himself more than a half a cup of coffee. And I was baffled by this because I didn't drink coffee until I started having kids. Well, I just started drinking uh, dessert coffee when I was in college, but I, I never started drinking coffee until I had kids, so I didn't understand it. Um, and now I get it. Uh, he hates lukewarm coffee. And so he'll drink a pot of coffee himself some Sundays or some days um, but it never, it's always a half cup at a time because he wants it hot, right? I um, <laughs> started thinking about coffee uh, through this. If you go to Caribou, you don't have a lukewarm option. You got hot coffee, you got cold coffee. There's no lukewarm on the menu anyway. Why? Because it's kind of gross. Um, and so uh, Jesus is putting it out there, uh, but the illustration is really interesting for Laodicea because they understood lukewarm um, in a way that we probably don't. Um, Laodicea didn't have its own water source. They didn't have springs in the city or wells that that were bringing them fresh cold water or warm water. Um, They ended up building these aqueducts that piped warm water six miles um, from Heropolis uh, and brought brought hot water from the hot springs there and cold water from other sources um, but the result was that water, when it got to Laodicea, was uh, warm. It was lukewarm. And so they had an understanding of nasty water, uh, and they despised it. Um, and so it just teaches us, I, I think, that Jesus' illustrations, Jesus' uh, reproofs of us are very personal, and he gets right at what we would understand. The word uh, spit in this translation actually would probably be better uh, translated as spew or vomit. Uh, the Laodiceans often uh, despised their water so much or their water was so gross that, that it would cause them to vomit or, or spew. And so what Jesus is telling the Laodiceans in this deal is your faith and your um, actions, your works... Uh, they make me sick. They make me want to vomit. It's extremely harsh. Um, it follows that up. For you say that I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing. This, for me, is where this scripture turns the corner and gets really, really awful. Um, because if I'm honest, I live here. And it's fresh and new how rich I am after, after spending 10 days in, in Rwanda. Um, it's hard to, to fathom the, the wealth. And the Laodiceans were a wealthy culture. They were, um, they were known for a banking industry. They were known for um, black wool, fine, fine black wool and garments. They were known uh, to have a medical school. They were a very self-sufficient, wealthy prosperous society, so self-sufficient, in fact, that 
There was an earthquake there um, shortly before this writing, uh, and they did not receive uh, help from the local governments, from the government of Rome. They decided to rebuild their city on their own. Um, they had such a pride in, in who they were. Um, and if I'm honest, I have an extreme problem with pride in, in what I have uh, here uh, living in America. And this is where I think it, it really uh, gets down to it uh, for us as a church. We have a lot. We are rich, and we have a tendency to become complacent and proud. Um, and it's easy it's easy to fall back into, uh, I can do that on my own. I can go to the store and buy that. I can order it and it'll be here in two days. Thank you very much, Amazon Prime. There's nothing that I can't get in a short amount of time living here. Um, and that's not the case. Uh, but the reality is that that's not the case everywhere. But the reality for us is that it distracts us from putting God in his rightful place. Seeking him um, and, and trusting him. So the reality of the Laodicean people in verse 17, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. All of these things would have pointed at the things personally that they were known for. They wouldn't have seen themselves as wretched for sure. Pitiable? No, they were wealthy. They had a lot. Poor? Again, uh, Blind? No, they, they ran the medical school. They, they uh, had people from all around come for, the, for a salve for their eyes. Um, they were known for um, healing blindness and eye issues around the Middle East. Jesus wanted to poke them right where they were at. He wanted to uh, call them out. So he follows it up. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. I had no concept of refining. And so I watched some videos on gold refining and it's quite an interesting process um, because they put gold in a, in a cauldron and they boil it and they melt it and heat it until it's red hot. Um, and then pour it out and the impurities end up floating to the surface of it. God wanted them to see. He wanted to counsel them to buy real gold, real truth, real... Um, Wealth, which only comes from a spiritual uh, renewal, a spiritual purification, not from accumulating stuff. By white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. They were known for this black wool, as I told you before. They made some of the finest clothing um, that could be bought in the area. They didn't see themselves as naked or needing anything. And again, he contrasts that by white garments. White, as we look at Scripture, almost always signifies purity. It signifies a spiritual purity that, uh, that these people needed. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And again, that was another push at the Laodians and their... their self-sufficiency on the, on the powders and creams and salves that they had at their medical school. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He goes right at the Laodicean church. 
And I wonder if he'd be going right at us as well, as an American church, Calvary church, me individually. I know he's going at me. Uh, I've told you I've been wrestling with this for about six months. Um, we are not exempt from, from listening to God's word and, and ignoring God's word. But the scripture doesn't stop there, and that's the most beautiful part of this. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Verse 19. Those whom I love. Jesus had chosen the Laodicean church to, to be ones that he loved. And he saw it fit uh, to correct them, to discipline them, to not leave them in the place of self-sufficiency. He knew it was better for them. He knew that it was something that they needed um, to become who he wanted to be, uh, who he wanted them to be. I hate discipline. I hate it in my own life. Um, I hate being disciplined. I hate being corrected. Uh, I'm a very proud person. If you've known me well, um, you know that, that those are always some of the most challenging uh, uh, times in my life uh, is when I, I get corrected. Um, but when people are willing to step into discipline uh, and, and disciplining me, I know those are also some of the times where I've grown as a believer in Christ. I've grown as a man, uh, as a husband, as a father the most. And people don't do that unless they love you. If they're, le- if they're willing to let you uh, flounder, then they don't probably really love you. And that's where Jesus, um, that's what Jesus was doing. I love you, and so I'm going to correct you. I'm going to point out your stuff, uh, your challenges. Hebrews 12 Verses 5 through 11. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the, ones he, the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share, in, share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I hate discipline my kids also. And they know it. Um, it's, it's one of the most challenging things as a father, I think, uh, 
to step into the mess and say, I love you too much to leave you there. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. When he corrects us in these scriptures, um, he's stepping into our mess, saying, I love you too much to leave you there. He follows that up in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Matthew seven twenty-one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day uh, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Again, another really challenging scripture but the result, the, the reality is that Jesus is standing on the outside in, of Laodicea. He's standing on the outside and he's knocking. And if you hear and you open the door, he'll come in. But not just come in. He's going to eat with you. Um, as we've been journeying as a church into community groups, under, I've understood eating with people in a whole new way. Um, for me, having a meal with people now uh, is relationship. It's how I've built relationships with many of you that sit here. Um, and I see that that's what Jesus is saying to us today. Because I'm going to step in. I want to know you. I want to watch you eat. Um, and we eat, we eat well at our community group. It's great. Um, but uh, eating is not always the prettiest thing. And Jesus says, I want to I be with you. I want to I eat with you. I want to know you. <clears throat> and so that is the promise that we get, is that if we're listening to this and we're going, yeah, I am rich. Oh, this is uncomfortable. There's an answer. There's a truth there that he may be just knocking. And your response may be to open the door. And let him come in. And let him eat. And let him, let him be with you and know you. He desires to not just be a distant, saving God that we pray to and... and uh, and acknowledge he, he desires to be the focal point and the purpose, the firstborn in our lives, to be uh, our hope and our joy, um, to be everything for us. And he's not content with a church that is willing to just do the good works and appear to be godly. He wants us to really know him, to really be zealous for him. On fire is a term that, um, that I think of. And when, when I say that, I always think of my young Christian days when I first 
uh, was excited about the Lord um, and college days when I had all kinds of time. And somehow here in this world, you can get into a place where you think that is an immaturity. Not. Having a fire and a passion for Jesus is not immaturity. It's not, oh, they'll learn and they'll grow in and they'll settle down. No. No. Jesus wants us to put him first and know him and trust him for everything, even now. And that may mean nothing for you as far as a change of career and job or challenges that you're facing on a day-to-day basis. That may change nothing. But when you put him first, you will see it differently. And his grace will overwhelm you. And the one who conquers, verse 21, will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father. We can overcome our spiritual apathy. We can overcome wealth, prosperity, uh, that feeling of not really needing him. We can sit with him on his throne. Chapter 4 describes the throne. I'm not going to go there because... I'm not smart enough, to be honest, to try to explain that to you. But it is an amazing picture. Um, If we can overcome our tendency towards self-sufficiency, if we can overcome our proneness to wander away from God, the God we love, um, we get to sit with Him in eternity. We get to see uh, eternity from His perspective, from, from the throne. We get to join with Him. And join with the angels in praising him. And, and, and that picture in chapter 4 of, of the throne room of God uh, will blow your mind. He who has ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I think it's important that we answer a few questions as individuals sitting here. Have you heard Jesus knocking? When I was 17 years old, I read this scripture. It's the only verse that mattered to me at that point. Because I wasn't a Christian. I had started engaging with Christians. People had started sharing the gospel with me. Um, I was curious. I was curious about what they were talking about. uh, Rapture and second coming of Christ. That stuff baffled me, so I picked up Revelation and I read. And I made three chapters. I got to the end of that one, and I can't tell you uh, from that point that any of those churches or any of those warnings made any difference. Um, But what I did hear was, God, you've been knocking. And I can hear it clearly, and I know. And the appropriate response for me, or maybe for you today, is open the door and let Jesus in. Let him become... uh, the beginning, the first over your life. Let him meet your needs, whatever those might be. Second question, if you know you've been there, you know you've opened, are wealth or self-sufficiency choking out your relationship to him? Again, I 
This is what I feel like I'm most guilty of in this world, is letting the world, letting the idea of the American dream and prosperity and having enough um, or more than enough to provide for my kids, um, I'm guilty of letting that choke out my passion and my zeal for Jesus. Um, and I would guess that I'm not the only one sitting here that would have that uh, testimony. And if I am, praise the Lord. That would be awesome if I was the only one that, that struggled with that. Um, but that's true for me. Uh, things get in the way. And I want to be somebody who is, again, like I said earlier, on fire. I want to be uh, a believer who, um, who God wouldn't have to reprove in this way again. Wouldn't have to discipline me in, the, in regard to, to my uh, position uh, where I allow him to be in my life. And finally, how can I live with more zeal and passion for the things of God rather than for myself? And I think that's the one where uh, we should land as a church. How do we as a church live with more zeal and more passion and more desire to see God do great things in us um, first. But then that that would erupt into a revival. We've, we pray for it on our prayer card every week. Um, that it would erupt into a revival that people around us would start to see Jesus in a new way because we see Jesus in a new way and we live for Jesus in a new way and a more um, engaged way. Um, and that we care about the things that he cares about. I found this, this scripture uh, on very short time, as I explained to you, um, very challenging, very beautiful. Uh, I hope that you land on the beauty of it, that God's grace uh, to us um, is remarkable. And he is, he's not willing to leave us. He's willing to step into our mess, to step into our, uh, our lives and discipline us and correct us and direct us um, for our benefit, for his benefit, for the kingdom. And so... I pray that you would, you would find that uh, to be true and that you wouldn't land on God is using the scripture to come down on us because I'm, uh, I'm not intending it that way. But I pray that, uh, that God's word would just teach us and grow us. So if you'd pray with me. Father, we, uh, we need you. We need you to change us, to you call us out when we slip, when we slide into self-sufficiency, self-dependence. When we let you slide from the pinnacle of what we're about to just something we know is a good thing to work towards, I pray that you would, you would change us and grow us up in you. Um, again, that you would not have to uh, step in and, and discipline our church the American church, Calvary church, us individually over and over, but that you would call us and, and show us how great it is to live under your grace and your love for us. In Jesus' name.